Well, good morning, church, again. We are doing a special, kind of a special series over the, the last week, and, and we'll continue it next week, a series on the Holy Spirit, but also because it's a new year, I thought we'd do a special, again, a topical message. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Richard will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Turn to John chapter 20, we'll look at verse 19 through 22, and then also turn to Zechariah chapter 4, you might put a a bulletin or a bookmark right there in chapter 4 of Zechariah, because we're going to get to that towards halfway through our study, but John 20 verse 19 through 22 first, and Zechariah 4, which is the second to the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to the middle there of your Bible and go back, turn left. Second stop on your left. We read in John 20, starting in verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The title of my message this morning is, By My Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to be able to have your word sitting on our laps. Knowing, Holy Spirit, you are here to teach us all things that pertain to life and to godliness and to live this life, this Christian life of faith that you've called us to. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that today would be the day for them that they would see their need for their Savior and they would turn to them to you today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We ask your blessing upon it, the blessing upon our children downstairs as they're being taught your word at the same time as we hear from your spirit up here. Bless our time. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every year, I like to have a verse for the year, something that can mark what I believe God is going to do in the coming year for us, pray about it, seek the Lord. And, and I really believe that, that, that the Lord has given to me this year Zechariah 4, verse 6. And really, it's the last part of it, that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, there's an awful lot happening in our world today. And I can't think of a better verse for our year than this one. I believe that we need the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit working and operating in our lives like never before. In fact, God's Word says that in the last days it would be like this. Acts chapter 2 verse 17. We're told, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And I also firmly believe that we are closer to the Lord's return than we've ever been before. Why so many factors happening in our world today. Gunmen going into churches and then shooting up in churches, opening fire. 
The situation in the Middle East right now is very, very tense. There is great expectation that Iran is going to seek retaliation against the U.S. for taking out General Salami. And uh, <laughs> they raised their red flag of doom, you know, uh, uh, this battle is going to come. And, and we, yet we do need to be praying for our men and our women in the military, my boys especially, if you would. <laughs> praying for our president. He makes wise, godly decisions right now. But we see the scenario coming into focus. The possibility of the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the, uh, Russia and Iran and Turkey coming together with other countries down to Israel, uh, to come against Israel. In fact, Ezekiel 38 13 tells us that there will be those, when that happens, some other nations, that will say, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder? To carry away silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To capture great spoil? What spoil does Israel have? Have you read the headlines? Israel has $3.6 billion on offshore Leviathan natural gas field. That they started production this last Tuesday paving the way for multi-billion dollar gas exports to Egypt and Jordan in the coming weeks. This Leviathan, as they called it, was discovered in, in 2010 and has enough natural gas to make Israel, Israel energy independent for at least the next 40 years. Don't you think that there might be some other countries in the Middle East that might want to come down and take a spoil? Think it's no big deal? All these things point to the fact that we are closer to the Lord's return than we ever were before. So we need to be prepared. So if God's Word says, in the last days, He's going to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us, then we need to know what that means. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things. Number one, the learning of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And number three, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at number one, the learning of the Holy Spirit. From the very first chapter of Genesis to the final chapter of Revelation, we read about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's described as a person having intelligence, emotions, and a will. He is the third person of the Trinity. Therefore, he is eternal. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He was active in creation. He is at work in, in men and strove to turn Israel from sin. He was active in the incarnation of the life of Christ. The scriptures were written by men who were inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit to write what God wanted humanity to know. And as a result, we have the complete written Word of God. Everything God wanted to communicate to man can be found within its pages. And here in verse 22 of John, uh, we're told that, that after Jesus' death and resurrection, He gathered His disciples together, and we read here that He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, something you ought to know, both in, in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language, this is the, written in Greek here, but both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for breath is the same word as spirit. Same word. Rock in Hebrew, uh, pneuma in Greek. You know, we get the word pneumatic tires from, from pneuma. The word can also be translated as wind. You know, especially living in Missouri, uh, you know, we know a little bit about wind. <laughs> I mean... It's one of the most mysterious and powerful forces of nature. The power of a tornado 
or a hurricane with gale force winds that twist and howl to that just a soft, warm breeze. Just, just the, the difference. No, we use uh, uh, wind for energy to cool down or to heat up. We, we need the wind. Growing up in Southern California, when the Santa Ana winds would come, you know, it was good because it blew the smog out of the valley. For those of you that grew up in Missouri, smog is a substance that gets in the air and, and it's pollution. And, and You know, out here, as you walk up to the church here, we have these dadgum sweet gum trees out there. And uh, billions of those spiked little balls that just drop and you pick them all up and you, they drop, you know. So we said, you know what, we're going to do something. We're going to buy a leaf blower. And we bought a leaf blower. Don't get in front of that leaf blower because it'll blow you halfway down the street. <laughs> it's powerful. Why? Because I, mean, I don't want you to trip on those things and then, you know, you've got to get that out of the way. It's powerful. But then think about it. Maybe, you know, as you have the soft breeze. Maybe as a child, you know, you, you burnt yourself and mom came and she put a little ointment on it. Then she gently just kind of blew on it, this cool, soft breeze. That's the Holy Spirit. At times the Holy Spirit is a boisterous wind. He sweeps in to clean us up and blow us off. And other times the Holy Spirit is like this calm and gentle breeze. He moves along uh, among us in refreshing ways. Either way, just as we need the wind, we need the Holy Spirit. And understand before we get too far in our study that there are three aspects to the Holy Spirit that we need to be aware of. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So the first aspect of the Holy Spirit is that He is with us, that is, He's convicting us and drawing us to Christ. Second aspect is when we surrender our life to Jesus, uh, believe by faith that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Such is the case here in verse uh, 20, or John 20, rather, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit dwells within them. It's been rightly said, Christianity is the only religion in the world where man's God comes and lives inside of him. But Jesus also promised a third function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you for power. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a few days after the events we just read of in John, Jesus said this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's with us. He's in us, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us for power. Now, this power is not meant to be a one-time thing, you know, one and that's it. We'll see. Uh, it's not. We'll see it in, in, a, in a moment. But, but my point is, the Holy Spirit is with, in, and upon us. And this brings us to point number two, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe Jesus continually breathes fresh breath on and into his church. Clear direction and leading that never contradicts His Word, but always complements it. See, when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives, our attitude should always be that of receiving. Receiving power, receiving gifts to be that witness, receiving direction. God is, is Spirit, and following the Spirit is like listening to the wind. 
In fact, Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying that the movements and the ways and the workings of the Holy Spirit, they're unpredictable and unexpected. And it changes just as the wind currents change. See, God's Holy Spirit has His own agenda. The Holy Spirit calls the shots. Not you, not me. The Spirit of God does what He wants, when He wants, and how He wants. Our job is just to follow. And I love 2 Samuel chapter 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll put the verses up on the screen. But it provides a wonderful analogy that depicts the Holy Spirit as the wind and how to be led by the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Philistine army heard that David had replaced Saul as king of Israel, they tried to take advantage of the change of administration. Perhaps they thought they could come down and catch Israel with their guard down and use the element of surprise. So they deployed troops to the valley of Rephraim. When David heard about it, first thing he did was he prayed. He inquired of the Lord, and in 2 Samuel 5, verse 19, it says, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And true to God's word, that's exactly what happened. David thoroughly routed the Philistines. But the Philistines, they were, they were slow learners. Once they recovered, they said, Hey, let's go back and try that again. So they deployed troops all over again to the Valley of Rephraim. Now understand, this is the same enemy, same theater of conflict, same strategy, same circumstance, same time frame, what would you have done? I mean, to me, this looks like a no-brainer. Okay, I've already prayed about this before. Why would God's answer be any different than the last time? I'm just going to assume God's going to give me those same marching orders. And But you know, I would have assumed wrong. Thankfully, David didn't assume wrong. Again, Second Samuel 5.23 says this, Therefore David inquired of the Lord. And he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. He says, And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. David obeyed, drove back the, the Philistines one more time. But the story illustrates to us our tendency to just think because we did something one way one time, that we just need to do it the same way the next time. See, God may want to do something new in your life, something different, and we need to be open for that. I like Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God desires in our life to do new things from time to time. Yet we, we always want to look at patterns to copy or, or, or this is the formula to follow. You know, we do it as Christians often. We follow six steps to victory, you know, or, or whatever. Pastors do this. You know, they read somebody's manual on church growth and, and study other churches to see, well, how did they grow? How did they do it? There's one problem with that. There's no secret formula. <laughs> David was given two different strategies for the same exact circumstance. Rather than lead through formula, God told David, told David to wait on the wind, wait on the Holy Spirit. The Lord instructed David to circle behind the enemy and wait for the sound of the marching in the treetops. Or literally the wind rustling the top of the mulberries. You see, the answer, my friend, was blowing in the wind. <laughs> the answer was blowing in the wind. Here's my point. If you want to walk in spiritual victory, 
don't look for a program. Don't look for a plan or a pattern. Follow a person. Follow the, the Holy Spirit. He is our secret formula. If God did author formulas and programs, it would still put us in control. We would be the ones, you know, filling in the blanks, plugging in the prompts, and God would then be forced to follow suit. But that's not the relationship that God wants with us. You can't control the wind. It charts its own course. And if we're depending upon God's Holy Spirit, it's up to us to bend and to adapt and to adjust to Him, never vice versa. If we want to connect to heaven while on earth and walk with God and receive power from God and live in the will of God and be pleasing to God, it only occurs through the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Nothing eternal uh, of eternal value is done apart from the Spirit. I think of the Apostle Paul when he first came to, the, to Ephesus and he discovered that the believers there, they were ignorant of the Holy Spirit. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said that we have not so much as even heard there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, talk about being in a bad place. Imagine believers in Jesus who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. Here was a church paralyzed by their, their spiritual ignorance. They just didn't know. These, these Ephesians, they loved Jesus. They wanted to obey Him and they wanted to spread the, the gospel. They had the great commission, but they were plagued by a great omission. A handful of believers attempting to convert and disciple a pagan city with no knowledge of the person or the power of the Holy Spirit. Horrible situation to be in. Yet we see it in so many churches today. There's a lot of effort, but little power. See, if you're like me, I know you don't want to be a powerless church. You don't want to be a part of a powerless church. That's why we desperately need God's Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives. Let me elaborate for a minute about the danger in the Christian life. And I believe this applies to us as Calvary Chapel as well as sincere believers everywhere. Listen, we can study the Bible. We can be accurate in our doctrine. We can memorize verses. We can, can sniff out heresies, kick out the wolves in sheep's clothing. We can glory in the cross, share our faith, tithe our money. We can keep our noses clean and our hands pure. We can live good, moral, spiritually safe lives. We can do all the right stuff yet miss out on the core of Christianity. You see, the Christian faith isn't a creed to believe or rules to keep. It is a person to experience. Christianity is experiential. To know God in the fullness of His power is the Christian's birthright. This is the privilege of God's grace. It's the joy of our soul. That Psalm 34 8 challenges us when it even dares us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes, Christianity is rational, but it's also relational. It's scriptural, but it's also spiritual. And as much as I love the Word of God and believe that it is God-breathed, infallible from, from cover to cover, the Word of God, we all need to be reminded that the Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. We need the Spirit of God to permeate, permeate and move us forward in all that we do. The truth is we need both the power of God's Spirit and the truth of God's Word working together, knowledge and might. You've heard it said, a church that has the Word without the Spirit will dry up. A church that has the Spirit without the Word will blow up. But a church that has the Spirit working through the Word will grow up. See, God's Word is like a, a fireplace. It provides a frame and a grate that keeps the fire from burning the house down. But a fireplace itself is worthless without the, the fire. Let me add one more saying 
that we've all heard. And a church that has the word but only pretends to have the spirit causes God to throw up. Don't be lukewarm. As Jesus said, he'll spew you out of his mouth. You and I need the fire of God's spirit. And that's point number three, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a story I found of a, a busy downtown attorney who was sitting at the red light in his fancy new sports car. A young boy rode up next to him on his motorized scooter. The boy wanted to talk to the man, so the lawyer rolled down his window. Hey, mister, nice car. What kind is it? Well, the uppity lawyer snapped back. It's a Porsche. How much does it cost? Plenty. Is it fast? Just then the light turned green. The attorney dropped the car into gear and left the boy in the dust. But as that Porsche took off, the lawyer noticed that the boy in the scooter started gaining on him. Zoom, the scooter roared past him. The lawyer could not believe his eyes. He hit the accelerator and passed the boy. And yet again, the scooter sailed past him, going twice as fast. The lawyer is now stunned. Finally, the lawyer guns it. There's no way he's going to outrun my new car. I'm not going to be outrun by a scooter. But as he looked in his rearview mirror, he saw the boy accelerating faster and faster and faster. and wondered what could be powering that scooter. As the boy and the scooter shot around him, the lawyer was so shocked he lost control of his car and steered into the boy, running the scooter off the road. The attorney jumped out uh, to apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I just didn't think the scooter was able to go that fast. Is there anything I can do to help? The kid on the scooter looked up and, and said, uh, well, yes, you can unhook my backpack from your rearview mirror. Here's the moral of the story. We're all just scooters. We're scooters. We have a little bit of power, a little bit of might, but we can all hook our backpack onto the Holy Spirit and tap into His tremendous and awesome power. It's not my power. It's not my might. It's God's Holy Spirit. That brings us to Zechariah chapter 4. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. As I said, second to the last book in the Old Testament. As you're turning there, Zechariah takes place during the time of the rebuilding of the temple after the 70 years of the Jewish people uh, in captivity in Babylon. This once glorious temple of Solomon now sits in a heap of rubbish. The task seemed impossible, huge. When Solomon first built the temple, he had 150,000 men. He had 3,000 foremen on the job. This time there were only 50,000 people that had returned from Babylon, including aged women and children. The first time Solomon had, had unlimited treasury, this time they had only limited funds. The task seemed impossible. Many of the workers were so discouraged that they gave up and, and they just said, I'm just going to go home and concentrate on my house. And so the work of the temple ceased. Even Zerubbabel, the guy who's in charge of the whole project, he had given up. So God gives to Zechariah the prophet a series of visions to encourage the work to continue. Look now at verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 4. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. Now at this point, Zechariah, he's drained. He had seen six visions concerning the work to be done. Yet the angel comes and wakes him up and says, i got another vision for you. Seventh one, you know, he wakes him up out of his sleep. I think there's application for us here. Zechariah was waking up so he could have a clear vision. So too, when we come to church or Bible studies for the coming year, we should pray, Lord, send an angel if necessary to wake me up. Don't let me snooze through 2020. I want a clear vision of what you have for me, and I want to go forth in your power. 
Well, this angel wakes up Zechariah. He's presented with vision number seven. Look at verse two. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So the vision is that of a lampstand. On its top was a bowl in which oil was kept to keep the lights burning. The lampstand was made of gold and had seven lamps just like the one that was in the tabernacle or the temple of God. In Exodus chapter 25, when Moses was given the instructions for building the lampstand, it was to be made out of pure gold, fashioned to look like an almond tree with the branches coming up and flowers and bulbs. It was Once it was created by the skilled workmen, it was then put in the holy place to shine its light, illuminating the room. Its source of shul was, according to Exodus 27, 20, clear oil of beaten olives. And one of the priests' main responsibility was to make sure that these oil lamps kept burning continually. And that would mean that they would have to, on a daily basis, tend to the lamp. They would trim the wicks. They would fill the oil every morning, every evening. Because God commanded that they should never go out. The golden lampstand and the tabernacle was a symbol that Israel was to be the light to the world or that God through them would shine forth His light to the world. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, the Lord said this, And indeed He says, it is, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you shall be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus said the same thing to us as His church. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God has always intended His people to be the light in this dark world. Now this vision of the lampstand was different in that there was no one tending it. In fact, it's kind of gone high tech in that it was an automatic refueling system put in place. On either side of the bowl, uh, on top of the lampstand, were these two olive trees, each with a branch emptying olive oil into the two golden pipes going into the bowl to keep the olive oil flowing. So then we read, look at verse 4. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand the symbol. What's the olive thing going on? I don't understand the oil keep burning, the lamps. I don't get it. And this is great. Verse 6. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. One of the best well-known verses in all of Scripture. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, Zechariah was given this vision of the constant supply of oil coming from these two olive trees. And we know that oil in scriptures is an allegory, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Zechariah was to tell Zerubbabel that it is through this constant power source available to him, the power of God through his Holy Spirit, that the work will be done. God was telling him it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would provide everything that people needed to get the temple rebuilt, to get the job done. Folks, this speaks mightily to our hearts this morning. We know that in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 20, we see Jesus walking among the, the seven lampstands. And what is that? That lampstands represent the seven churches. 
So that in the same way, the reservoir of oil that we read about here represents a continuous, inexhaustible supply of God's Holy Spirit working in and through His church today. And I might add this, that God's Spirit fills each individual bowl. You and I, as, as, as individuals, as well as the church, are the bowls of the lampstand needing to be filled on a continuous, inexhaustible supply of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the work of God for the filling of the oil and so forth was the work the Lord assigned to the priest. But we read the work of God is not to be accomplished by might, nor by power. That word for might is the assembling of armies, the organizing of, of forces or, or committees to, to organize forces. And the word power there is the word force itself. So I think it's real easy for us, as Paul says in Galatians 3.3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, we can go out and we can try to accomplish God's work, but there's a danger of trying to do it in our flesh. The late pastor and teacher Warren Wiersbe points out that there are three ways in which we can go about trying to accomplish the work of God. Number one, we can trust in our own strength and wisdom. Number two, we can borrow the resources of the world. Or number three, we can depend on the Spirit of God. Listen, the only way for success is depending upon the leading and guiding of God's Holy Spirit continually, every day, nonstop. That's why prayer is so important. That before we attempt any work for God, we need to seek Him first and seek the leading of the Lord and then step out in faith And don't hold back. I like what Pastor Chuck once said. He said, The secret to any successful work for Jesus Christ is to discover how the Spirit is moving and move with the Spirit. I like that. Catch the wave. You know, the wave is coming. You're on your board. Man, catch the wave and move with it. People have asked me, Well, how do you know if the Lord is leading you in a certain direction or not? How can you know that this is what God wants you to do? Well, God often leads through open doors. And if God opens the door, then we go through it. But if He closes it, don't break it down. And I think that's where we make our mistakes. You know, we, we, we can think that God wants me to do this or do that, but then a door will close and we say, whoa, all right, if this door doesn't open, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow this door down. Wait a minute, then that becomes the work of our flesh, trying to go through a door that God has certainly closed. Now granted, the Lord, as the saying goes, may close a door and open a window. But regardless, if it's a door or a window, we still need to be reliant on the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and not our flesh. It's coming to the place where we acknowledge our total inability to accomplish anything for God apart from the filling of and leading by His Holy Spirit. I mean, here was Zechariah. He was, you know, in the middle of receiving ten waking visions from the Lord. One single fantastic night. The vision of the lampstand was number seven by my count. And here's God speaking to him. Here were angels ministering to him. But he really didn't even have the strength to stay awake. Again, this is a picture for us of how the absolute and total inadequacy of our own strength and talents and abilities are. It's only through God working through and in us as an instrument that anything can be accomplished for God through our lives. And we don't add anything to it. Any strength, any talent, any ability that we may think we have. It's been rightly said, God doesn't need our ability, only our availability. God delights in our weaknesses to reveal His power. We're empty bowls where He can fill with His Spirit to accomplish His work on this earth, a great work that He desires to accomplish in our lives. How great? Look at verse 7 of Zechariah 4. 
Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I like that. You think about mountains becoming a plain, flat ground? Doesn't it remind you what Jesus said? If you have the smallest amount of faith, you say that this mountain will be removed and it will be gone. See, if you're walking by faith, filled with the Spirit of God, then what you have, what have you got to worry about? What have you got to be anxious about? So much of our worry is about things that, that, that may happen in the future that hasn't happened yet. Oh, I'm worried about this. Well, what about this may happen? What about our country? What about retaliation from Iran? What about Iraq? What about this and that? Listen, God has taken care of us up to this point in our lives. Why would you think he's just going to say, okay, I'm done. 2019, I was done with you. Good luck, 2020. <laughs> You're on your own. No way. He promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. We have an unending supply of the Holy Spirit of God to fill us and empower us and lead us. Then it doesn't matter how big the mountain is. God can make it gone if He wishes. Now sometimes He wants us to climb over it. To strengthen us. And, and to, to grow us up. But even when that's the case, it's done by the power of His Holy Spirit in our lives. Now Zerubbabel, the word of the Lord came through Zechariah as a word of encouragement to him. He'd been discouraged about the building of the temple. He'd, he'd given up. He'd quit. Can't be done. They had organized the men. They had organized their efforts. They had men that were in charge of cleaning up debris, men that were in charge of carrying rocks. They had organized to the hilt all the whole efforts. They were pushing and forcing the men. They, they weren't getting anywhere. They weren't getting the job done, so they just gave up. It's way too much. That's why the word of the Lord came to them and said, Hey, it isn't by your organized efforts it isn't by the, the force you put together. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Then he says this. Look at verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. God's promise. This work is not going to drag on and on and on and on. It will finally be completed, and it will, will not be completed by someone else. Zerubbabel himself, who started, he's going to be the one to finish it. It reminds me of the promise that God gives to us in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is saying to Zerubbabel, you have laid the foundation. I was with you when you put the roof on it, and I will still be with you to the end. One more verse I want to look at in Zechariah, verse 10. The Lord says, for who has despised the day of small things? I mean, that's another verse to underline and, and highlight. You see, this was one of the discouraging things for them, if you remember, because once they laid the foundation, the old men started wailing. Oh, this is horrible. This is terrible. Why? Because they remembered the old glorious Solomon's temple, how magnificent it was. And now they're building this little new, little dinky thing. And the young guys, uh, you know, that never seen Solomon's temple, they're so excited. Oh man, look at the foundation. This is great. They're excited, but the old men are wailing and weeping. It was quite a scene. But those who were wailing and weeping discouraged those who were building, saying, oh, such a little thing. It's nothing. That's why the Lord says in verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? You know, there are many times in our own lives we can despise the days of small things. 
We want something to happen so badly. And yet God says, not yet. But you see, God has a pace that He's on. And He keeps us on for our own spiritual growth and for our own good. I think what, what the Apostle Paul told Timothy, to, to not lay hands on those too quickly to appoint them to leadership. They need time because there's a danger of being lifted up with pride. God has a very important pace that He keeps us on for our own spiritual growth, for our own good. Now, there are many times that we are not satisfied with that pace that God said. We, we want to move ahead. As I said, we can despise the days of small things in our own lives. A person may be new to the church and come up to me and say, you know, I really feel like I, I want to serve the Lord. I, I like how I want to serve here. I said, well, you know, hang out four or five months. Let us get to know you and we'll see where God has you. And it's wonderful. I said, and then when that time comes, man, we, we certainly need teachers downstairs. It's an excellent way to serve the Lord, to get involved. Oh, well, that's not really what I had in mind. I was thinking more of your job. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you want to resign, I could pastor Calvary Chapel Spring. Well, yeah, that's it. No, don't despise the small days. You know, there, there are a lot of people who really are not willing to do the little things. They're waiting for that big door to open up. Waiting for that call from Billy Graham organization. They say, okay, we're ready for you to take over where Billy left off. All right, I've been waiting for that call. Yeah, but you're not prepared for that call. God starts in the little things. And if you despise the days of the small things, then you're never going to grow. You'll never develop until you're willing to get in and be satisfied with the least thing that God has called you to do and to be faithful in the little things that God's called you to do. Listen, today God is building two temples. He's building you individually as a temple, as a fit uh, habitation for himself. But God is also building us corporately as a church. He wants a temple in our town that brings him glory. Both works, individually and corporately, also require the Holy Spirit. Man, we have a lot going on in this church right now that needs prayer, that needs the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking for that this morning. We have our current building here that we have. You know, God's given to us. We own it free and clear, you know. But, you know, you hear when you flush the toilet in the back. We want to be good stewards over it to fix what we need to fix, you know. But God has also given us a building on, on National Avenue uh, there and two old buildings and brick buildings that, that we own those free and clear too, but we got to refit them. We want to you know, start over there and, and we need, you know, to be led by God's Spirit, God's Spirit each step of the way. But it costs money. But this we know, where God guides, God provides. See, we're not like other churches. I'm not going to do a capital campaign. We're not going to put a thermometer in the foyer. <laughs> See a little red coming up. Hey, we get a little more money, a little more money. You know, here we reached our goal. No. We put out the project. We say, here's all the information about it. Would you pray? Just pray. Now, the first bid we got from the contractor uh, for the refit was sticker shock. <laughs> $2.1 million dollars. <laughs> he's working now on value engineering and I'm thinking he's probably going to get his bid down to somewhere around 1.7 million maybe 1.6 we can maybe afford the 0.9 I don't know so then we just present it to the church and we ask you to pray and then we wait on the leading and the guiding and the providing from the Holy Spirit and if that door opens up great if it shuts for now, that's great as well. If a window opens, that's great. 
But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be busting down any doors to make it happen. (laughs) Just wait on the Lord and not despise the day of small things. You see, whether we're talking about what God wants to do in us personally or through us corporately as a church, the key is the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. Nothing of eternal, again, value is done apart from the Holy Spirit. Finally, as we close and enter time of communion, there in the upper room on the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples that he was going away. That news must have devastated them. I mean, imagine it this way. It's a Super Bowl. And the Chiefs are down by five points. It's an imagination. It's not going to happen. They'll, they'll, they'll win. But let's just say for the sake of illustration, they're down by five points. A touchdown would win it. They're on the one-yard line. It's a fourth down. Two seconds left of the game. One more play to play. And instead of Patrick Mahomes walking up and taking the snap, they send in the water boy. Wait a minute. You can't be serious. This is when we need our quarterback the most. And what if Patrick turned to his teammates and says, guys, don't worry, though the game's not over and you're facing a, a critical situation, it's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, you'd think he'd lost his mind. But picture, that's what it was like for, for Jesus' disciples. Three and a half years he spent with them. And it's all brought to a climax there in Jerusalem at the Feast of Passover. It was crunch time. Jesus had the attention of the Jewish establishment. The crowds that held him as Messiah. Everyone was looking to see what Jesus was going to do next. And at this point, he tells his disciples, he's returning to, to the Father. He even has the nerve to tell them that they're going to be better off without him. Listen to John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It's an incredible thought. The Holy Spirit is an advantage over the physical presence of Jesus. Almost sounds blasphemous, but it's true. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be in all places at all times. Jesus taught and modeled a better way to live. The Holy Spirit is to be able to be poured out into our lives and show us the way to live. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be and do and live. It was an advantage for Jesus to leave and send His Spirit in His place. As we said last week, God's Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And just as the disciples depended upon Jesus, we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Listen, you and I have always been like the little boy who brought just the five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. That's all we'll ever bring. We're incapable of miracles. Our, our, our utmost is utterly insufficient. Yet here's the good news. Jesus, the whole, or rather the Holy Spirit takes up where Jesus leaves off. Leaves off. The Lord can take a little and transform it into much. Our meagerness sets up God's miracles. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. If you desire to live in the light of God, and know the truth of God, and possess the life of God, and feel the love of God, and sense the presence of God, and reflect the image of God, and live in the will of God, and behold the glory of God, and be fueled by the power of God, and receive spiritual gifts from God, and be fruitful and effective for God, then you need to depend on your relationship with the Spirit of God. Our job is to hang in there, believe, be receptive, bend, adapt, adjust, repent, and whatever else the Holy Spirit would ask us to do. We must not make uh, our responsibilities to the Holy Spirit more complicated than we need to be. Just remember the Spirit is like the wind. Don't see the wind, 
Don't always understand the wind, and we certainly don't control the wind. But when God sends the wind, we can enjoy it. The wind is a mystery, but that doesn't stop me from utilizing it when it blows. See, to me, the key to benefiting from the wind is not my understanding of it or my unraveling of its mystery. It's my willingness to to, to lift my sails in its direction and go with it. So as we close and enter into communion, if you've joined us this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit is, is, is with you. He's been trying to call you to Himself, but He's not in you, certainly not upon you. You need to come to Him. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Have your sin forgiven. Be born again this morning. God will do that work in your life. Just say, Lord, forgive me my sin. Uh, thank you for going to the cross and dying for me, rising again from the dead. I give my life to you now. And He will breathe into you His Holy Spirit. He will, he will forgive you of your sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you're needing a refilling of the Holy Spirit. It comes the same way as salvation. You ask and believe. God, would you fill me afresh with your Spirit this morning that I might live for you? Maybe you've come in this morning and you've been resisting the Holy Spirit leading in your life, not doing what God is calling you to do. Or maybe you've been busting down a door that God is saying, hey, this door is shut, and you keep knocking at it and pushing at it. Let me tell you to stop. (laughs) Surrender to the Lord. Surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe what you've begun in the Spirit, now you're trying to accomplish in the flesh. The Lord says, stop it. Stop it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And this privilege now as we close off this first service of 2020, Lord. Lord, to ask for a refilling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That you would come upon us for power, Lord. That we might serve you better in a greater capacity and make a huge impact in this community that we live in, Lord. Recognizing we're living in the last days, Lord, and we want to be used by you to the fullest. Not in our flesh, Lord. Not by our power or our might, but by your Spirit. That's our desire, Lord. So fill us afresh of your Spirit this morning. And now as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, help us to examine our hearts as well. See if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in your way of everlasting. Search our hearts, Lord. As we remember the cross and what you accomplished upon the cross. Taking upon yourself all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, and return giving to us Eternal life, but greater than that, your Holy Spirit living inside of us. What a great trade, Lord. Uh, We thank you for it, God. Uh, It's one-sided, but we're not complaining. We praise you. Thank you, Lord. Again, bless this time of communion, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.